Welcome back to Riot Underground. You found us, the place where you hear from instigators who are changing the world with disruptive technology. I'm your host, Sarah Glova, and today we have two members from Bayer joining us in the studio, specifically from the digital pest management team. We're going to be talking about digital pest management, more specifically, remote rodent monitoring. You probably can't tell, but I'm smiling really big. I can't wait to talk about this topic of how IoT is disrupting an age-old problem of keeping pests out, really tracking uh, where they are and, and when they get into spaces that we don't want them, figuring out how to make sure that they're not there anymore. So two people that we're going to be talking about that with. First, we have Gael Fage. She's the global technology lead. And then also we have Michael Zimmerman, who's the IT lead, both on this digital pest management team. We'll start with our age-old question, since we're talking about an age-old topic. Uh, on the podcast, since we are here in the studio and our listeners can hear us but not see us, let's find out who would you pick to play you in a movie about you? Who would you pick, Kyle? So I would pick Elizabeth Moss, just because she's Elizabeth my... Moss, I love yeah, her. You like, you yeah, you know her? Yeah, mm-hmm. she's my favorite actress at the moment. I'm actually really into The Ends Made Tale the story. Ta- yes, and she was so good in Mad Men, too. Yes, I really like her. And so the reason why I would really pick her as well is because, you know, she's so determined when she wants to do something. She's Mm -hmm. a risk taker. And I'm kind of like a little bit like that too. Like a risk taker. Yes. And usually people know me that when I want to do something, I usually do it. Those are two good (laughs) traits for a disruptor in the tech space. A risk taker, someone who's going to get something done. Great. Well, Gael, thanks for being here. But I just want to make clear something. Um, My life has nothing to do with the hands made so <laughs> that's good yeah. we're all gl- we're all glad to hear that yeah. <laughs> well, what about you michael who would you pick if i could i would probably pick christopher walken um, oh that's a good one um i think he's uh, he plays determined guys he um he's serious about what he's doing and also he's a great dancer which i'm not oh. but i want to be so he could do a dance number for you in the movie about you probably should yeah are you and bring more cowbell yeah exactly <laughs> more cowbell is more. what we definitely need yes <laughs> Well, and I have to apologize in advance. Um, my voice is a little bit scratchy. I'm getting over a cold. But luckily, we don't need to hear too much from me in this episode because you all have something so cool to share. I'm going to be asking you to do a lot more of the talking. Uh, we're going to be talking about this project that Bayer is taking on and what it's like to work on it. I mean, Bayer is a big company and you're getting to work on this really cool project. I, I think you said the first prototype of it was in 2016, so something really new, really agile that you've been working on, almost like a startup within this major company. So let's talk maybe from the beginning. How did this project start? How did you get into this idea of remote rodent monitoring? What what inspired it? We had been talking to customers that we have close access to, which is the uh, pest control industry. And um, we have been talking to them about what keeps them up at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we did this, uh, we um, excluded one topic, and this is our core products, uh, which are chemicals, um, mm-hmm. which we do very well, others do very well, and we innovate in the space. However, where else um, would buyer um, be of significance and relevance? And there, out of that, a couple of topics um, came up, and one was how do we monitor the absence and presence of pest without us having to be there without us having to spend labor on there because Mm -hmm. labor is hard to get labor is expensive Mm -hmm. the turnover is great and so this is where it came to pass 
So this, uh, it came out of almost this customer discovery workshop. People are allowed to brainstorm what was keeping them up at night. And they said, having to monitor these traps. And so to your point, they were physically going and looking at pest traps to see if there was anything in the trap. And that was taking, that was the labor cost, the time cost. Okay. And not adding any value because mm -hmm. their customers typically do a great job in excluding those pests. Mm -hmm. So what the real problem is, is the absence of pest actually. So this is a very tedious job in going into a facility with 120 rodent traps where 93% of them have never seen a rodent in the last two years. Wow. So most of these facilities, it makes sense, are, are very clean and have companies that are doing a very good job of keeping these rodents out. But someone still has to go and physically check all of these traps. And there's usually nothing in that. That's yeah, right. sounds like a huge waste of time. Yes. <laughs> Where a lot of IoT products come out of the huge waste of time problem, right? Trying to scale for efficiency. So this is, it's a cool example of one of those. And so you discovered that problem. And then I think, Gail, I don't want to pick on your language, but it, it cracks me up a little bit. I think the first prototype that you made, your MVP, I think you called it, it's not very pretty, right? The first, no. the first one wasn't very pretty. No, it was not. It was <laughs> definitely not pretty. It was kind of gross, I think I said. <laughs> yeah. It was big, and uh, but it was doing the job. And mm -hmm. this is really what we were really interested in, as I explained. Uh, what really mattered was to be the first one on the market, which is something which was working. Okay, so that's a neat point. There really wasn't, when, when your customer discovery workshop led to this being a problem, there really wasn't anything on the market to help with this. And so you decided to create a solution. You've got your, your gross, only in that it was clunky, uh, MVP. <laughs> And you did a pilot, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. test and learns. I don't know how we, we mm -hmm. would call that, but we, we partnered with customers to really, you know, test the technology, test the prototypes, mm -hmm. make sure we integrated everything that needed to be integrated so that it would really solve the problem of the customer. And so how did that in go? The, when in the real environment. Well, it didn't start very well, actually. <laughs> If you remember our very, very first deployment, We went there, we had our first prototypes, we were so excited, you mm -hmm. know, the customer was waiting for us and we deployed them all. And then uh, we are back in the plane and then I think it was the end of the week and then the first weekend and of course I'm super, you know, checking my messages <laughs> checking to, see, yeah, to yeah. see if I'm catching anything. Uh -huh. Uh, and I'm not catching anything, but it was just a few days after the sensor were deployed and I already had uh, low battery messages. Like so you those devices were supposed to last oh, at no. least two years at that time. Mm. Now, now we have four years. Oh, we no. claim four years, but initially it was supposed to be two years. And it was not even a, a week not after a they were days, out that so, they were yeah. already starting to die. So obviously we had to go back and fix that, which we did. But now it didn't work like right away. But that's kind of the point of the pilot, right? And Absolutely. there's that saying, um, bad dress rehearsal means great performance, right? Uh, so you had this quote unquote dress rehearsal, this pilot, and you were able to work out some of the kinks and, and iterate from there. Absolutely. And after mm -hmm. that, your prototypes got less clunky, uh, a little bit more clean, a little bit more streamlined. And so where does the project sit now? What's the current status? So now we are not in pilots anymore. We are really selling. We are in the commercialization phase and we have more and more customers every day. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's neat to see that a company as large as Bayer can still find out that there needs to be a solution, iterate around it, develop a prototype, tweak it, and then get something to market. And I mean, a relatively short amount of time. And to add to this, it needs to be a customer specific, needs to be customer centric because we learn so much. The monitors that we develop, the solution that we developed and are selling is primarily targeted 
to high-quality food production markets. But when you see where we're at, actually, one of a bigger installation is at amusement parks. Another one is at a soccer stadium. Hmm. So, And these are all learnings that we had to take into consideration when we now develop our next versions. So mm-hmm. what are the needs of the customers that we didn't even think about? That customer discovery process is truly a living process. It, it really never stops as you iterate, right, as you keep going. Absolutely. Um, so as you're finding out more, you've done workshops with the right community and talked about this project, that one of the neat things that you learned about it is you thought that the biggest value that it served was the labor efficiency. Now no one has to go and physically walk to this trap. It'll send you a text message if there's a capture. And so nobody has to go once a week and check all 160 traps. But what you found in talking to customers is there's another value that they're drawing from it that you maybe didn't expect. That's right. So first of all, the value that we create in making the pest control industry more effective and efficient creates a problem in itself because of the change. We underestimated the change management process that it takes to change over an industry mm-hmm. that actually made their money with checking empty rodent traps. Oh, wow. So that we made us think about what else, um, what is the real value that we're adding except for making things easier. Mm-hmm. And um, what we find is that transparency and now knowing exactly when those rodent incidents happen is an insight that the end clients haven't had before. Mm-hmm. So there is the time-stamped event that we have. And also what we see is since we have an accelerometer on board, we can not only see direct rodent incidents, but also when the devices are being interacted with with humans or forklift drivers or stuff Mm. like that, that renders them ineffective. And these are insights that actually add value that we hadn't thought about when we first started our journey. That's so neat. And I feel like is also something that we see again and again in IoT, where there's some kind of efficiency opportunity. We discover some kind of problem and there's an IoT device that can fix that problem, make something more efficient. But then when we implement it, some other value pops up. So in this example, the solution was to improve the inefficiency of somebody checking a trap on a Friday and then having to go and check it the next week. But the value that came out of it, like so much it, you know, it often does in IoT, is around the data. So now we not only know, oh, I'm getting a text message, there was a capture, we know exactly when that was. We have a timestamp for that. And now we're building this data set that might be really useful to your customers. Yes, it is. And actually, there is another added value, which we didn't really talk about today, related to the fact that we know exactly when the capture event happens, Mm -hmm. which is indeed you can relate, correlate it to what was happening at the same time to really Mm -hmm. try to help understand what happened at that moment and why this rodent was there and and what needs to be fixed so that it doesn't happen again. So this is one. But the second thing which we didn't talk about is the fact that since they have the instant information that the capture has happened, then they can decide when to react and they don't Mm. have to wait. You know, this can be fixed right away. It's really up to the customer, our our customer, the pest control operators to decide if they want to react immediately, they can do that. Something that comes across as I'm talking to you all about this project is how well you know the customer. It seems like it's easy for you to jump in and imagine how they're using it or the value that they're getting out of it. And I imagine that comes from the iterative process that you took, all the customer discovery time that you took, What's neat is it sounds like your product was developed with them in mind. So for example, this product 
you mentioned the battery life. So it can last for years. That means that the product doesn't necessarily do a lot of day-to-day scanning. It's literally sending a message if there's a capture. But you know what the customer needed. You know that they wanted long battery life so they could deploy 160 of these things and not worry about them for a couple of years. So what was that process like, really figuring out what functions, what features your, your customers needed? So we actually started to list all the possible ideas of what we could add to that device oh, wow. at some point. Like all the possible yes, features. Like, yes, we should do that and we should add that and it should brew the coffee and everything. <laughs> and, and at some point we took a step back. We realized, no, this is definitely not the right way to do it. And we should really focus on what is the key thing that that little thing should be doing for our mm-hmm. customers. And what we did, actually, I remember we, we selected a handful of customers, which we called really more customer partners. Mm-hmm. And this is really the service which we are selling today, which is enabled by those devices. We really co-developed them with those customer partners. Mm-hmm. We took their feedback, we learned, we changed things. I mean, it was not always very easy because mm-hmm. sometimes you have five customer partners and you get five different answers. Right. <laughs> so you kind of need to, to decide the way to go. Mm-hmm. But we really work very closely with some of our customers to mm-hmm. get where we are today. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the tech stack involved. I know there are some listeners that are just going to want to hear, how did you make this thing work? What's in it? What does it do? And how does it do that? So first we needed to find a proper wireless protocol, which would fit the needs of our application. Mm-hmm. So as I explained, we need something which allows some small packet of data to be sent. We need also those devices to be there for several years without having to change the battery. So battery something, life. Maybe not Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, and then small amount of data. And mm-hmm. there is one technology which allows you to do that very, very well uh, is uh, LoRa. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I didn't mention that, but also penetration within mm-hmm. walls. Right, because if you're in a giant factory with big concrete walls, things like exactly. that. Exactly, mm-hmm. or if you are in the basement, there is always concrete walls. Mm-hmm. You have machinery equipment. Sometimes we have... We are inside uh, industrial fridges, uh, so it's like huge metallic doors. Metal doors. Yeah. And you need something that goes through that. Basically, so, the worst nightmare of 5G is where you are. Yeah. And LoRa actually does a really, really amazing job at, mm-hmm. at allowing um, data to be sent in this very, very complex environment. Mm-hmm. So that's what we picked. And then we also decided to go for private network. Okay. We use gateways, which communicate the data then from the sensor uh, to our backend uh, using the cellular uh, technology and yep. we just need a few of those they need to have um, cellular connectivity those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But nevertheless uh, but it's usually never a problem there is always a couple of spots in the plant where you have cellular connectivity because you don't so. need quite as many of those like for no. 160 of the um, remote monitoring devices how many gateways would you usually use it would be really between one or two wow. uh, okay. depending on the complexity so probably of pretty the easy to yeah. find a spot for one yeah exactly so yes, we build private network. We don't tap into any of the end customer infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it's all private and uh, we send the, be- the data to the backend, which is hosted on Azure. Yeah, right from the start, we thought it would have to be a cloud-based solution for all the advantages that come with it. Mm-hmm. But also thinking about and talking about partners again, because right from the start, we, we were thinking about integration of the data that we get, of the insights that we make with other solutions that are out there. Mm-hmm. So this was a design principle as well. So we use the Azure Cloud. We're working with Microsoft as a strategic partner as well. 
and we have been successful with doing that. And Microsoft's a great Riot partner as well. So I kind of have to mention, <laughs> they do such a great job when our startups are thinking about what cloud technology they're going to leverage of helping them explore those questions. They really aren't all the same. I mean, you, it's almost just like a wireless protocol. You have to think about what are the things that are most important to you? What are your constraints? And then what are the resources or the features that you really need? And then making a decision from there. And for this, it sounds like it comes to data interoperability and thinking about within this industry, what's being used and how can we best deliver it in that format? That's right. Yes. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. As uh, you're going forward in your careers, you're at an exciting part of this project. You mentioned you're going to market. You've done all this work to get to this point here in 2019 where you're going to be ready to sell these devices. What's next? Why are you still excited to be in this space talking about IoT? What do you see as something that makes you really excited to be in this industry, in this tech space in, in 2019? So for me, it's um, indeed, we now created a device that detects the absence and presence of rodents. Earlier, we see that there is other things that are of value too that you learn when you, when you go ahead. And when you then see industries that, are, that you are deploying this, this solution, you think about, man, there is more to actually explore within those facilities. If you are in nutrition-making uh, facilities, what else? is happening there on the shop floor and which can be automized and can where else can you add value. And, oh, interesting. And also the journey for, for pest management isn't over. There mm -hmm. are so many other pests um, that need to be monitored and that are honestly being checked manually as well. So mm -hmm. there is a big journey still going on there. That's neat to hear that after all the work that you've done in the last couple of years, you're still interested. It maybe sounds like even more interested in not just pest management, but those customers themselves. That As you were walking the factory floors or the soccer stadiums, you were seeing more opportunities for efficiency, keeping this IoT lens on and thinking, what else can we automate? Can we track? For me, I would say we are still at the very, very early stage whether it's within our little project here, digital pest management, which is not a project, it's really a business, which we mm -hmm. are we are growing at the moment. But it's still the very early stage of what we could be doing. There is so much more opportunity with IoT, which we could do. And it's not only true for digital pest management, it's really true for everything. And, yeah. and then to your point, I feel that at the moment, everybody in its own industry, it's developing its kind of own little solution. But mm -hmm. at some point, those solutions will have to be integrated for mm -hmm. the big picture to be revealed and really unlock much, much more insights to be generated. Oh and I think I this is really too. driving me. Is like I feel like this is, we are really so at the so beginning and, and there is so much possibilities to happen very soon, I think. I love hearing that because people ask me all the time if IoT is a buzzword that's going away. And I feel the same. No, we are at the beginning. We are still in chapter one, maybe the prologue. I mean, we have yeah. so many things that can happen. I love that you mentioned, you know, you have this device and it does what it does very well. But how could it be used by other industries, other spaces? Um, what else do we need to monitor if something is or isn't there and just receive a message when something small happens. Now that we have that built, what else could it be used for? So really interesting to think about that and, and think about other applications. I think also if you asked a hundred people, what do you think IoT is going to impact? Normally we hear the tech buzzwords. Oh, there's going to be augmented reality and training and there's going to be blockchain for real estate transactions. Like they think of these very high tech things that it's going to impact. 
But what we're really passionate about at Riot is there's also these main street applications. You know, your home exterminator is going to be using technology like this very soon because it's disrupting not just the tech spaces, but every industry. And so we love seeing companies like Bayer take on challenges like digital pest management and really figuring out what does a service line look like and, and who's going to benefit from it. And if you think about it, the, uh, why is there pest management? It's only part of actually a bigger thing, which is hygiene management. Mm. So this is just one puzzle piece. The other puzzle pieces are temperature monitors for water to be hot enough. Other pieces are soap dispensers. Other pieces are swabbing for pathogens. All of these can and will be part of a more digital solution. Indeed, I would agree with you. This is just the beginning. Chapter one. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough, both of you, for being in the studio and sharing this project today. Uh, I know I've had the chance to see you present on it now. I'm excited for everyone who gets to see you as you continue sharing the story with Riot at events like Pest World and as more people get a chance to learn about it. And I know we'll see you again in, in Riot Labs, but thanks for making time to come down to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank yeah, you for having us. So thanks for listening and make sure that you subscribe. So Riot Underground has more great content for you. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. And we'll keep bringing you more of the instigators who are changing the world with disruptive technology. Don't miss it. Hey, y'all. Caroline Griffin here, dropping in to say thanks for listening. And if you have any questions for Riot, send me a note. You can reach me at caroline at ncriot.org. This Riot Underground podcast is created and produced by Riot Studios with music by Scott Jackson. Riot is a nonprofit focused on economic development through the Internet of Things or IoT. We produce events, conferences, and educational courses around the world. And we run an early stage startup accelerator out of Riot Labs in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our nonprofit also operates a wireless test and certification facility under the Wireless Research Center brand. Learn how to engage by visiting us at ncriot.org.